1: I love scotch, I love scotch. Scotchy, scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm.
2: With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the
1: fact, yeah.
2: Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out to contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536.
1: that's what I'm talking about.
0: Wow! Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts, there's bound to be injuries. Now that's what I call depressing, is gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope want to jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend whilst in cell block 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open... (laughs) Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you what cannot be done. That rather have it out than in this loaded hit will be dropping soon farthing in the USA for those who place their order by calling or ordering online the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in the full tub the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you, call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Ah. Ah.
1: Hey, this is Kane Hodder, you are listening to Crazy Train Radio, keep listening, or else.
2: Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele, and boy do we have a good one for you today. So excited for this gentleman on the phone. He's done so much throughout his long career. He has been Jason Voorhees four times. He's had a legendary character in Victor Crowley with four movies. What can I say? It's Kane fucking hotter. Kane, how you doing? <laughs>
1: I'm doing great. Sorry, I got a little... You like that, huh? Another call, so doing
2: good. <laughs> Oh, so whereabouts are you uh, currently?
1: Uh, I built a house up in Park City, Utah, so I'm there now.
2: How's everything going out there with all the clusterfuck that's been going on?
1: Well, uh, it's a little easier to deal with everything up here. It's a little less restrictions and stuff. Uh, But today is pretty cold, so uh, not happy about that.
2: Yeah, being that you were born in California lived in the islands for years, you know, I can totally see that.
1: Yeah, I've still got my house in, in L.A., um, but, you know, just staying up here for
2: now. Yeah, can't blame you on that. Hopefully things will go back to a normal for everybody sooner rather than later, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time now, a few months we've been dealing with this, so. Hopefully, we're on the, the road to ending the whole thing.
2: Yeah, especially because I know you are big in doing the conventions when you're not working on any film projects and enjoy meeting exactly. the fans. Yeah.
1: I, yeah. I mean, you know, and I truly enjoy doing them. It's not just all about the money and stuff, but, yeah, and, and fans can tell who's there because they enjoy it and who's there just for the money. So, um you know fortunately i I enjoy meeting people and and having fun, so I do miss the convention circuit. I hope that we are able to get back to them fairly soon anyway
2: exactly well, since we're on that subject strangest thing you ever signed at a convention
1: uh well hmm. i've I've signed I always think it's a little odd but I've signed uh, a number of body parts Um, people just would like me to sign on their body so they can tattoo it and that's always interesting especially when uh, somebody has a tattoo of my face not, not a character not Jason or Victor but they have a tattoo of my face on them and then I sign it and they tattoo the signature so that's a little unusual, but, you know, I don't ever uh judge anybody by that.
2: <laughs> I can't blame you. Yeah, there's probably been some worse, and I've heard worse stories, that's for sure. But speaking of, and I know you generally enjoy meeting folks and stuff, but I've also heard, and I can't quote you word for word for this, but there's times that you have trouble tolerating folks. And sometimes that asshole will come out when it's just deserved.
1: Well, I mean, you know, if they're truly a fan, uh, then I'm very, very tolerant of, of, you know, questions and stuff like that. But when somebody is trying to, uh, like, start a fight just so they can have a story or something like that, that's when I don't really care for it, you know. Somebody's trying to be an asshole just because of that reason, and yeah. that's what I don't like, mm-hmm. so, yeah,
2: you know. Crazy. There's
1: always and people those, want to start a fight so they can say they had a fight with so-and-so.
2: Yeah, and for those who – what I was going to say there was there's some interesting stories on that particular topic in Kane's book, if you haven't read that book, which is a very interesting read. There was a couple of instances uh, that you may have ended up in a little bit of trouble, but that's here and or there,
1: right? But well, I mean, you know, we've all we've all met law enforcement in our lives. <laughs> Most of us have, anyway. So, um, <laughs> you know, you try to limit that as much as you can.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, this other project I recently heard, I was trying to find updated information on it, but couldn't seem to find it. Casual Friday Podcast. Uh, What's the status of that?
1: Uh, Yes, it's actually Casualty Friday. Okay. Uh, Kind of a a more accurate title for those of us that are doing it uh, because we are in horror movies. But, yeah, that's a (laughs) podcast that I do with Tiffany Shepis and Melissa Rose. And we've all worked together. We've all been friends on the horror circuit. And we just have a good uh, chemistry when we're talking about life in general and our careers and everything. So we decided to go ahead and do the podcast. And it was on Fangoria uh, for a while uh, until, you know, they had some issues and. So now it's a little bit in limbo, but we're looking for a new home for it right now. The thing that 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 I like about it is that, you know, not only do we have a great chemistry, but also for some reason, you know, and I've done a million interviews over the years, but for some reason when I'm doing the podcast, I remember stories from my life that I've never talked about before. It's happened several times on the podcast where I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to tell a story, and I've never told it. And, and not for any particular reason, just that I never thought about it. But somehow doing the podcast makes me remember other things that would be unique to talk about. And
2: the thing is, too, with that, and I think you uh, – Definitely understand this it's all about the chemistry of the people you're talking with in your case, both Tiffany and Felicia that you have that good chemistry of knowing each other and it's a very I was watching a couple of video versions of it last night It's just a very relaxed setting because you guys are friends off the podcast and know each other from other environments
1: right and and you know, I've killed both of them on different films and, um, so that's, that's, kind of, there's a big list of people I've killed on film. So it's, uh, it's just fun when it's people that you really enjoy talking with. I, you know, I've been asked to do podcasts in the past, my own show type of thing. And I was left, never really interested, but with them, it's like effortless and, you know, 45 minutes goes by and we're like, what? Already? Because it feels like we're just sitting around talking, you know, and that's exactly how we present it, so it goes over pretty yeah, well.
2: Was, yeah, it was funny because I uh, had that similar issue with uh, Marianne Hagen from a Halloween 6 last night. Uh-huh. Yeah, we were talking scheduled for a half hour. I looked down, it's an hour and a half later. You're like, holy shit.
1: Yeah, isn't that amazing? That that's when you know you're comfortable talking with somebody.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, you've done stunt coordinating and different things within the stunt world. I'm curious to know because people might not be aware of this, but when you're hired to be a coordinator, do you, are you one to decide the budget and what exactly is needed, or do they just say, this is what you're working with, we can only do so much?
1: Uh, No, you, as a stunt coordinator, you do give your budget what you think the movie will cost to do it safely and to make it look good. And most often that is accepted um, if, you know, if it's a quality production. Sometimes certain productions like to really try to cut corners and get stunt coordinators to do movies for less money than they really should, and, and I'm not just talking about what the coordinator gets paid, but the stunt coordinator also decides what all the stunt people get paid. So it, It's a lot of uh, uh, tedious stuff. It's not just doing stunts and supervising other people doing stunts. You have to give a budget, and to be successful in the business, you have to come in at the end of the film on that budget so that people will say, okay, this guy is, you know, true to his word. Because some people give us a a small budget just to get the job, and then by the time they're done with the movie, they spend a lot more. So, of course, they burn a bridge there. Nobody, no producer is going to hire you if you did not honor what you said you were. So it's a, it's a real tricky thing because you never know, um, how the, the problem is with doing a stunt, you can, you can project how much is going to be stunt, spent on that stunt for that person. But what you can't know is how many times they are going to have to do that stunt, how many takes. That's the thing with, you know, I always talk about when I'll be watching a movie with somebody and, who's not a stunt person, and they see somebody do a stunt in a movie, and they say, you know, I think I could have done that. And I'm like, okay, maybe so. That's possible. But what you don't know is how many times they had to do it. You see one take on a film. You don't know how many times the stunt person had to do that stunt, how many takes, to get that one that they were happy with. Sometimes you have to do a stunt 10, 12 times. And that's when it gets really hard is when you're doing kind of a uh, something type stunt where you're hitting the ground hard or crashing something or something and you have to keep doing it. Well, we didn't quite get it. Let's go again. That's when the you really separate the true stunt people from the ones that think that wasn't as hard as it looks so, you know, that's, and I can't expect people to ever think about that because you're watching a movie and you see one take, so you don't know, but that's when it mm-hmm. gets real tough to budget something because you don't know how many times that person had to do it. you you basically, when you do a budget, you kind of try to figure out, well, it's X amount of dollars every time they do it, and they might do it three times. So that's what you budget in there. And if they don't do it as many times as you thought, maybe you save a little bit of money in that particular case to be able to spend it later where somebody does a stunt more more times than you thought they would. So it's a real tricky uh, situation. And that's why I always liked about stunt coordinating. It's it's also a mental uh, job, not just a physical job.
2: Well, in your case, in the years of experience you have, what do you think is the most uh, difficult stunt to plan for?
1: Well, I mean, you know that I do a lot of fire stunts, and considering it almost killed me at the beginning of my career doing a fire stunt, um, people are surprised that I continue doing them. And only a small percentage of working stunt people do fire because it's mm-hmm. such a specialized stunt to do. You have to have so much knowledge about preparation and hire the right safety people and all that stuff that I, you know, I, I wonder what percentage of people actually do it, but I know it's small. So I'd say fire is the, kind of the trickiest stunt to do, because not only is it super dangerous if it's not done correctly, but you also, fire is unpredictable. You Mm -hmm. think you can plan in every way for a fire stunt, and then something happens that you didn't expect, and you have to kind of go with it. So uh, I'd say fire is uh, one of the toughest uh, stunts to do. But on the other hand, it's also, uh, and hopefully this makes sense, if you do a lot of fire stunts, there's no cumulative uh, effect on your body from doing them. Because you do a fire stunt correctly, the next day you're not sore. And that is a rare thing in stunts, to not be sore the next day after doing this, not even a fight scene, if you do it correctly, you'll have soreness the next day. Flipping a car, you know, getting hit by a car, things like that, you're sore as hell. And it—and and when you crash a lot of cars, you I think you sustain a lot of concussions that are never diagnosed. Even when you crash a car correctly, your brain moves around in your head. It's not just an impact to the skull that causes a concussion. So, you know, you do a lot of car stunts, there's going to be an effect that accumulates to your brain. But when you do fire correctly, there's nothing that builds up over the years. And and it's, you know, one of the highest-paying stunts, too, which is kind of nice.
2: Yeah. Well, I told you on a previous interview you did, I believe it was May of this year, where you were talking about how difficult it is to get into the stunt world because it's usually people that know people and all that kind of thing. And sometimes that it's a family-type thing that sometimes kids of previous stunt people will be given an opportunity to because of who their parent is. Uh, Have your boys ever considered trying to do stunts?
1: Not really. No, they – they both, and, and I was never upset by the fact that they didn't think they wanted to do it. But I think my oldest has the mentality where he could have been successful doing it. But both my sons use their brain more to go into areas of work that um, I really admire the fact that, of what both of them do. So I don't think they, they ever really thought about it, and, you know, and and, and I was never upset that they didn't, but um, it, as you said, there are so many stunt people that in the business that are relatives of previous stunt people that it's very common, and, and I never was uh, upset by that because it doesn't mean that the person was given a chance just because their mother or father were, was in the business. It means that they have, a, you know, like a pedigree before them. Okay, so this is the son or daughter of someone who I respected as a stunt person, so I would think they have been trained properly by their parents, And probably have some, you know, given, born with some given abilities to be a successful stuff person. So it's not just a nepotism thing where, oh, great, so he gets a chance because he's so-and-so or she's so-and-so's son or daughter. There is a reason for it. It's not just that. So it's never looked on badly. But you're envious if you don't have a a family member that has blazed the trail before you, you know.
2: Well, have they asked ever to – because I know one of them appeared in Hatchet 1. But have any – either of them said, hey, Dad, we don't want to do stunts. But, hey, what do you think about us becoming actors or doing something behind the scenes? Uh, No, not
1: really. Yeah, they never – they were actually both in the first Hatchet. And the younger one had some dialogue in Ed Gein also when I played Ed Gein. But, yeah, no, they never really seemed to be interested. And, uh, you know, there's so many good things about this business that I love, but there's also assholes. And when they didn't, you know, seem to want to do it, I was like, okay, well, I, you know, that's fine with me because – I've had some pretty, pretty shitty things happen in my career, uh, because of politics or whatever. I mean, when you know, when when I was replaced as Jason after four films in a row, and never told why, that bothered me. It still bothers me, because I had been given the script before that and told I was doing the movie, mm-hmm. talking about Freddy versus Jason. I was told I was doing the movie. So it's not just like I expected it just because I did four in a row previous to that. I was told I was doing it. And then when I'm replaced after that, that makes it much more uh, infuriating. Yeah. I mean, I mean, everybody knows that it's, it's a business where things can change rapidly. So when you're replaced in a role, Oh, well, that's part of the business. But when you're told you're doing the movie and then replaced, so much worse. So, oh yeah, you know, some of the bad things. I was like, okay, so they won't have to deal with that, so I'm not so upset. They don't want to do it.
2: Exactly. Well, Last question for you, and I yeah. thought this was a complete uh, bullshit anyway. When somebody, a fan, asked me about it uh, when we announced we were going to be talking to you, okay, he so said that there was a bad blood between you and Laura Park Lincoln from uh, Part 7. Is there any truth to that?
1: Absolutely no truth to it whatsoever.
2: I'm not That's what sure I was going to say, because I know Laura, and it's like, no. no
1: not at all. i And, you know, I've, I've hardly ever even heard that. But, uh, you know, it's, I don't know why somebody would make that up other than to make maybe make it sound like a good story They they battled each other, and they didn't like each other. That couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, we both on the set maybe avoided each other sitting around talking, especially if I'm in the makeup, because we yeah. wanted both of our performances to be more genuine. So we weren't, like, hanging out and buddying around and everything. But that certainly doesn't mean there was any bad blood whatsoever. I I still love Lar, and it was a pleasure working with her.
2: I was going to say, that's why I said I called bullshit right away when they said that. I said, so I've met you once or twice, but also I've known her for a couple of years now at this point because she's been a previous guest of the show. It's like,
1: right. Now,
2: both these people are straight shooters and have nothing but respect when you talk about each other. So,
1: absolutely. I 100% agree with you.
2: Well, Kane, we don't want to keep you all day. Enjoy Appreciate your time when You talk. And hopefully we'll uh, see you on a convention circuit soon once everything clears up.
1: I hope so, man. Thank you very much for having me on, though. I appreciate it. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from pee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at Zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com.
2: Train Radio. Don't take a nap.